I think many people talk about the Bible uh, in our culture, uh, and they, very often you will hear the idea that the, the Bible is really offensive. It contains ideas and thoughts which are just horrific. And uh, I think very often, in fairness, that that, that's kind of, that, that idea is kind of owned secondhand. Very often the people who might say it um, perhaps haven't read the Bible. Um, they might have heard that idea from somebody else. You might have actually read the Bible, and you might feel the same. Um, let me join you in one sense this afternoon, because this particular passage that we're going to read this afternoon is truly horrific, and it is, in one sense, really offensive, uh, particularly in our, our way of thinking today. And so, I, I, like every kind of moment in our journey in Christchurch, um, we don't want to step back away from those kind of ideas. We want to re- meet them headlong, kind of walk straight into the issue and say, let's deal with this. What is the Bible actually saying here? How do we engage with what it's saying? And in fact, has it got something dramatic to say to us today, which I believe it has? And so we're going to spend some time looking at this. We're going to delve a little bit deeper, look at the narrative, understand what's going on, and then understand three things out of it. Firstly, we're going to understand offense. Secondly, we're going to understand belonging. And thirdly, we're going to understand hope. It's a strange word to use in the middle of this text, isn't it? Hope. But that's what we're going to see. So let's first, let's just, it's very often when we have a Bible reading, particularly in two bits, because it was a little bit longer, it's, it's difficult to kind of get the story together. So let's just run through the narrative, following through the text. I'm going to pick out a couple of verses, and we're just going to remind ourselves of the story. So God's people are now entering into the land. They've just defeated Jericho. Uh, And now we read this particular kind of moment. This is the foundation for the rest of this narrative in uh, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. That's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Achan did it, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And so, all of that is the situation that the people in, but they don't really know it. They don't understand it. Joshua doesn't know it. The rest of the people don't know it. In fact, Achan at this point doesn't know it either. And they come to the next challenge, which is the city of Ai. And they send spies, as they have done, say, go and have a look at the city of Ai. See what the situation is. The spies come back and they say, it's not particularly challenging, go up and uh, we send 3,000 men, that will be enough, we can take the city of Ai. And the end result of that is that they are, they are routed by uh, the city of Ai and uh, 36 of them are killed and we see in verse 5, they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. You see the situation that's happened because of what Achan has done, which is all hidden. There is tragedy for the whole of the nation. That's the challenge that we see in this. Joshua 
tears his clothes. He is absolutely distraught at this. He falls face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Let's remind ourselves, the ark is the picture of the presence of God. It's the symbolic representation of God with His people. And so, Joshua falls down in front of God and he says, what has gone on? This is an absolute tragedy and disaster. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads, verse 6. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? That is such a massive phrase that Joshua uses at that point. He says, look what's happened. We have been crushed. Remember, sovereign Lord, what we are doing here. We are here on mission." We're not here to be some kind of um, vindictive army that is just out to destroy people. That is not the purpose of God. God's purpose in coming into this land through His people is to say, the way the Canaanites have been living, child sacrifice, all of that kind of thing, that is an offensive thing. The way they rule their kingdoms is a horrific thing. And so I am going to use you to bring my righteousness into the land. And Joshua says, now we've had it. They're going to know about us. We routed Jericho. Those child sacrifices in Jericho. We we brought your honor. We brought your name. We're only a small people. And now all of the Canaanites are going to surround us. We're going to be wiped out. And then he turns himself to the issue at stake. What then will become of your name? Do you see Joshua's motive in this? It's really important that we see it. He is not concerned about a personal defeat. He's not concerned about military victory. He's not concerned about personal human ego. He's saying, I remember why we are here, and it seemed to me as though you were with us, and now it seems to me as though that hope of your presence is crumbling away, and we've lost everything, and we're going to be destroyed, and your name is at stake. God turns to Joshua, figuratively speaking, and speaks to him. There is a problem. There is an issue with the people. Now go, verse 13, consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, there are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Go and do that. I wonder what Achan was thinking over that night time. 
As Joshua says, this is what we're to do. We're going to consecrate ourselves once again. We're going to remind ourselves once again what we are about. That's what consecration is all about. It's not some holy ritual. It's a way of reminding ourselves that we are here on the mission of God in this land. Now let's work out tomorrow what is causing a a challenge to our mission. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribe, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zarahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zarahites come forward by family, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. I think that is amazing. It's kind of... The narrator is building this up, isn't he? He's saying, this is getting really close to home. This is becoming personal. (laughs) And Joshua does not back away from the issue, even though he is bringing his family. (laughs) And Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zarah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. What have you done? Tell me what you have done, Joshua says, and Achan says, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. The outcome of that, verse 24 and verse 25, is horrific. I don't want us to step back at this moment and imagine ourselves able to just deal with this as some cutesy little story from history or a fictitious idea from Game of Thrones or whatever we might like. Look at what the Word of God says. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, his daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tents, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. That is horrific. It is horrific. It is offensive. It is awful. We see those kind of things going on in our world today, and we are horrified when those kind of things go on. And I think in one sense, we are right to be horrified when those kind of things on, go on in our world. So let me just, just name the elephant in the room, shall I? Let me just say it. It's something like this. How can a just God behave like that? That's it. That is the massive challenge that we are faced with by this particular text, isn't it? We can't get away from it. We can kind of skirt around it and create some nice little ideas out of this story. But we have to deal with that burning issue. How can a God who is just take a whole family and all possessions and have them killed. 
That's the huge offense. I just want us to pause for a moment and not, not, to, not to dilute the offense in one sense, but to just pause and place ourselves, rather than in 21st century West Yorkshire, let us place ourselves three and a half thousand years ago near enough alongside Joshua and the people and remind ourselves of three things. Let us culturally locate ourselves there for a moment. The first is this. Remember, we are in a world which observes everything, everything in the status that humanity has with the divine. Let's remind ourselves of that first. So we might look at that and this and think, this is horrific. But if we place ourselves back in the truth of the narrative and the way that God is bound to speak at the time of the narrative, we would be saying, what has happened? What God have we offended that we have lost that battle? That's what they would have been saying. They, they would not have been looking at this horrified at the stoning of Achan. I'm horrified by it. But they would not have been horrified by it because everything that they did, everything that happened, whether it rained, whether the crops grew, whether they won a battle, whether their family was successful financially, everything, everything was shaped in their relationship with the God that they worshipped. And so it is not surprising that at this moment in time there is an understanding immediately that there is a problem in the relationship between the God of Jehovah and Jehovah Himself. That's an understanding of the time. Secondly, remember that God had called His people to certain patterns of behavior when they went into the land. That's, that's how they are to behave. That was such a, a distinct part of their mission. <laughs> don't, go on, don't go in and just behave like any kind of challenging people, but rather you are to go into the land with a mindset that looks at everything through my lens, not your lens. And your lens would be to walk into these cities and see the wealth and the beauty and the majesty and all of the precious things and you would say, wow, I want a piece of that. And God says, no, you are to go into that land and see that all of that is tarnished, is marked by their horrific offense against me. Don't believe that there is a part of this which somehow is good all of this is a problem to me. And you are to see all of this as a problem to you as well. That's the second thing. Third thing. Remember that our offense at this moment in time is because God acts, isn't it? Let us remember that they would have been offended if God did not act. We place ourselves in a particular way of viewing things at this moment in history, and we see 
A God who acts, and we are offended by a God who acts, and yet they would have been offended if there was no way that that God did act. That means that that God is an irrelevance. That means that that God can be forgotten in place of other gods, which obviously are far more valuable, because those are the gods who are the gods of Ai who defeated us with just a few men. And so they would look at that and they would say, if God had not acted, then there would have been offense. So there's a few things. But let us now dig just a little bit deeper to understand what is the problem. Look at how Achan replies in verse 20. It's true. Achan does not say, well, hang on a sec, it was just a little bit of gold, it was just a nice robe, it was a little bit of silver, it's not a big deal, it, just, it looked great. He knows the issue. In fact, he represents the issue by his pattern of behavior. Does he walk out of the, of, of the battle with his, holding the gold in his arms and the robe over his shoulder? Does he showing his friends what he managed to loot from the city. No, he takes them to his tent, he digs a hole inside of his tent, and he hides them. Because he knows that what he has done is not just an offense to the God who he is called to worship, but it was also an offense to everybody else who is partaking in this mission. You see what Achan has done. This isn't a moment where he says, I, I'm, this was not a big deal. He says, I have sinned. It is true. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. You see, Achan described in that sentence his true love. His true love was the temporary things in this world rather than the eternal things that are marked by the righteousness of God. There's the issue. He is, he is saying, look, I love that robe more than what I was called to do. I love that silver more than the mission of displaying your righteousness before these people. I love that gold more than my faithfulness to everybody around me who are also part of this. Do you remember what it said at the beginning? The Israelites were unfaithful. It doesn't say one of, one of the Israelites were unfaithful, but rather the mark of Achan's unfaithfulness tarnishes the whole of the people. If you get version, or if you have version, probably loads of you got version on your phone. If you get the verse for the day, it was just so apt for today. Verse for today, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, that's Achan's problem. He thought it's okay, it's not a big deal. But he knew that it was a big deal, or otherwise he wouldn't have hidden it. 
but God knows his heart. He knows that really Achan is saying, I don't love you as much as things. And you know, when we say it like that, when we put it like that, I think the issue that Achan has is the issue that we all have. We love things more than we love God. We love the temporary things more than we love God. I'm going to put things in terms of all of the ways in which we love this temporary life more than the righteousness of God. I don't know why he stole the robe. Maybe he wanted to look great in front of somebody who he loved. Maybe he wanted to give it to somebody who he loved. And in both of those moments, he is displaying the value of what you think of me in this world or what I think of you in this world is more, way more, than what God thinks of me and what I think of God. You see, when we start to really pull back the layers, I think what we start to realize is the true offense. And the true offense really as hard as it is to hear, is this. Our sinfulness, our unrighteousness before God is way, way more of a problem than we give it credit to be. It's way more important. We tend to make it small. And it's actually a matter of life and death. That's the offense. It's that we say, I don't care what you say, God, about my sin. I don't think it's that big a deal. That's the offense. We make it all about us. So there's the offense. Secondly, let's have a look at the belonging. Where does belonging fit into this? What were the people to do? What was this all about? They were to go into the land and do what? They were to go into the land and they were to create a righteous kingdom. They were to overthrow an unrighteous kingdom and they were to bring into the world the beautiful kingdom marked by the righteousness of God. That's what they were to do. They were to create this, this I was going to say nirvana, but that's, a, that's the wrong religion. <laughs> They were to create this beautiful place where righteousness lived. But the fact that Achan took the plunder marred the whole of the Israelite mission. They were all unfaithful. Why? Because one little mark like that means that the whole of the kingdom falls apart. Isn't that interesting? Do you know, I... I there is, there is so much of me that yearns for a beautiful kingdom. I, I, I love the idea that there, there might be a place where the success of somebody in, in our kingdom is part of the success for me as well. I, I don't know about you, I get really quite emotional at the, um, at the national anthems for the Olympics, particularly when it's a GB flag going up. 7th of August, 2012. Mean anything to you? Probably not. 
7th of August, 2012, Chris Hoy won his sixth gold medal at the London Olympics. Amazing moment. He was blubbering on the top step of the podium as the flag went up. And so was I. I kind of wanted his success somehow to be kind of my success as well. This is about us being at the top of the pinnacle of success and triumph. And when he did that, was it the Kieran that he won it in in his last... When he did that last lap at some ridiculous pace, 11 seconds, 9 seconds, whatever it is, it's like, wow, that's, that's me, kind of. Wish it was. And some of you are going to remind me at the end of the service that Chris Hoy is actually Scottish. I know that. But he's kind of ours as well. On the other hand, I think it was 2016 when the San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick decided to sit at the national anthem in America. It caused the most incredible sporting conflict where politics and sport collided in a country which absolutely lives for the moment of the national anthem. And he said this, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of colour. To me, this is bigger than football and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Do you see the two extremes of that? There is a part of us that desperately wants to belong to something which is great and righteous and good and perfect and beautiful, and yet there is another reality which is that the kingdoms and the nations that we create are clouded and dirty and marked and filled with shame. And the banners that we stand under are tinged with unrighteousness. And you see, we, we are looking for belonging. And yet at the same time, the kingdoms that we search for and we hope for are not realized. But the whole of the journey of the Bible is that we are being taken to a kingdom which reflects that kind of grandeur and majesty and righteousness and goodness. There's going to come a time at the end of time where this is going to be the experience. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And if we belong to that community, to that kingdom, we will be singing with a single united voice where we will all be marked with righteousness. And there will be no tarnish. And then we will experience what we are desperately looking for in this world, which is a true sense of belonging to something which is righteous and good. 
and perfect and beautiful and marked with God's goodness. You see, we search for this belonging. And yet, the reasons why we can't be part of that belonging is offensive. And it's our sin. So how do we move from offense to seeking belonging to some kind of hope? How do we get there? You see, if this particular narrative was the end of the story, we would be sat next to the pile of rubble over Achan and his family, crying into our soup with no hope. But that is not where the story ends. You see, what God is saying is you need to understand, you need to understand that the issue is that you are unrighteous before me. I know it is offensive and I am not going to step back from that because you need to know that your offense is great. And yet at the same time, there is a greater death. There is a greater death. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 6. He says this, For the wages of sin is death. That's what Achan experienced. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the beautiful picture that is portrayed in this shocking event is that the reality is that there is the challenge of unrighteousness which causes death. And it is marked for the whole of the Israelite empire. So Israelite people, the whole kingdom. But look what happens. One dies. One dies. And the people are liberated before God. Do you see that? In fact, even more beautiful. <laughs> it seems as though Achan is brought very, very close to Joshua in the selecting of the families. And Achan is killed. And the curse in its, that is on the Israelites is lifted so that Joshua and the people live. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. The gift of God. It has to be paid. And in our, in our narrative here, we see that one dies and the other lives. And then we come to Jesus. And we see that one lives and one dies and one lives in Jesus. And what we can never fully describe in humanity is described perfectly in Jesus where He comes into our place and He says, I will live that righteous life. I will go on a mission in this world and I will display righteousness and goodness and kindness and beauty and perfection. Oh, and then by the way, I will bear the sin in the same way as Achan does. I will bear the unrighteousness. I will be, as it were, the one who has stolen the plunder. And I will take it on myself, the death that is deserved, even though I have not stolen the plunder. But you have. But you, my brothers and sisters, I will bear it. 
and then I will live again. And so we can say that the only way that we can move from this offensive place is to move to a place of hope in Jesus, where our confidence is in Jesus Christ. So I want to end with this. Two things. We need to understand, yes, our sin is incredibly offensive and it is the biggest problem that we have, but Jesus is the means of righteousness. And if He is for you, then take a hold of Him and live now anticipating where you will be, not where you are. Live now believing that your hope is in a multitude of people who will sing praise like a, a roaring thunderstorm with more names, that, more voices than you can ever imagine and you will belong to something so incredible that it will sweep you away in an experience which is beyond anything that any human being can ever have. That is the hope of life. And so live in the light of that. What is this telling us? It's saying that belonging is really important. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this in verse 24. In considering this, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's, let's push each other into doing good things. You see, Achan hid the cloak and the gold. And if somebody had seen him, the right move is to say, Achan, just, man, just put it down. Come on, let me spur you on to the mission that we're part of. But what Achan had done is he had chosen to step outside of the community. He'd he'd decided to step away from the covenant promise that he'd made. And nobody was there alongside saying, come back. Don't give up meeting together. You know, belonging to a body of God's people is the hardest thing and the most important thing in your Christian life. It is the hardest thing because you're surrounded by people not like you and just like you. That's why it's hard. And they're going to offend you, and they're going to upset you, and they're going to do stupid things, and they're going to not represent Jesus in the way that they should, but you need them as they need you. And so belonging is critically important. When you feel as though you're not getting anything out of it, you are missing the point of belonging. You you need to be here to encourage, to maybe take that that voice which says, put the silver down. Or to be the voice that says, put the silver down. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I hope that we can look at Aiken. And be utterly shocked at what happens. And to realize it is because of our condition before God. Because I'll tell you now, I am an Achan. 
in my heart, that's what I am. And I need you to help me to not be in Aiken by the power of the Holy Spirit working amongst us. I need you to guide me, to help me, to encourage me, to shape me so that I can belong to you and you can belong to me because we're joined together and journeying to a place which is more amazing than we could ever imagine. But if you're here this afternoon, you're saying, you know what, that that Jesus is not known to me yet. Not that kind of Jesus. I want to leave you with just two things. One, you need to understand the reality of your offense. But even more, you need to understand the beauty and the majesty and the grace of Jesus. Because one died so that all might live.